Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue our series on Roman Catholicism. And this week we're going to go through tradition versus scripture. So without further delay, let's go ahead and just get right into it. So what is Catholic tradition? Let's put a definition to this first. So according to the Catholic Church, Tradition is a series of teachings, rituals, and beliefs that are handed down by the apostles, the Bible, and by word of mouth over the centuries. These methods have been preserved and are believed to be the fullness of divine truth. Therefore, Catholics interpret the Bible within the context of tradition. This will exalt the church tradition to an equal level with Scripture itself, and this is dangerous, and you'll see why here in a bit. We see now that the Catholic Church sees the tradition as the framework for the Bible, and the tradition is what dictates how we should interpret the Bible, when in reality, it should be the other way around. The Bible is what shapes us, not we shape the Bible. Now, I'm going to be quoting quite a bit from the Catholic Catechism. I will reference what paragraph it's from in the Catholic Catechism that's online on the Vatican website. So, the first question it asks is in paragraph 412. Is the church necessary for salvation? The Catholic Church. Yes, the church is necessary for salvation. That's what they think. That's what they are saying in their catechism. Paragraph 59. Where do we find the truths revealed by God? We find the truths revealed by God in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Paragraph 60. How does sacred scripture compare with sacred tradition. Both sacred scripture and sacred tradition are the inspired word of God, and both are forms of divine revelation. Sacred scripture is divinely inspired writing, whereas sacred tradition is the unwritten word of inspired persons. Paragraph 89. Why is sacred tradition of equal authority with the Bible? The Bible and sacred tradition are of equal authority because they are equally the Word of God. Both derive from the inspired vision of the ancient prophets, and especially from the infinite wisdom of God incarnate, who gave to the apostles what he came down to earth to teach, through them to all of mankind. So if we take this at face value, what it's saying is you have to be Catholic to be saved. Okay, that's the very first thing they say. The church, the Catholic church is necessary for salvation. Secondly is truths about God are only revealed through scripture and tradition. And tradition is the not written portion of the Bible, if they want to, if we want to take it very literally what they're saying here. That tradition established by the church or by the Pope are the inspired, unwritten word of God. And apparently tradition is on par with scripture because 
it says they both come from the same source. They both come from the ancient prophets, and they come from God himself, Jesus Christ, who walked the earth and taught his apostles everything they needed to be successful in their ministry. And so a lot of this is misconstrued and misunderstood in the Bible, what the Bible really says. So now let's see what the Catholic Church determines as tradition. How do we define tradition? So the Catholic Church teaches that all previous councils, you can think about the Council of Trent, Vatican I, Vatican II as an example, teachings from old church leaders, previous popes, famous uh, teachers of their day, for example, St. Thomas Aquinas, declarations from the Pope himself, remember when he speaks ex cathedra, it's as if God spoke it, and the other church traditions are all one sacred deposit of the Word of God, and is considered to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is making it of equal value and weight as the Bible itself. These teachings and doctrines are instituted to all Catholics as tradition that must be followed and are required for salvation. You have to follow tradition, not just the Bible, to be saved in the Catholic Church. So you see a lot of different sources put together as being the, the whole Word of God, which is in complete contrast to what Protestants believe, because we believe in the solas that were established by Martin Luther, and one of them being sola scriptura. Scripture alone is what is necessary. But in this case, it's saying there's all these other things that are necessary for salvation too. The teachings of old leaders, the declaration from the Pope, church traditions and rituals, all those things are all required for salvation. Now, is tradition biblical? Traditions on their own are not necessarily wrong. Let's be clear about that. All churches have them in some form. For example, the church I go to uh, holds traditions such as baptism, the Lord's Supper or communion, you know, the presentation of the gospel every week, and responsive reading from the Bible, liturgy. That is all stuff that is traditions. It's not anything that has to be done in order to be saved, but it is something that is proper in order to remember the Word of God, to honor it properly, and to be blessed by it, certainly, but it is not required for you in order to be saved. The problem is with all of this, if you elevate tradition or human teaching as equal to the teaching of an almighty God, we are wrong. If we understand that we have a sin nature, there is no goodness in us, as the Bible teaches. Who are we to have wisdom? Who are we to have authority in Scripture or equal to Scripture? This is a direct insult to God and is completely contradictory to what the Bible teaches. And yet, this is what the church stands for. For those who have received true salvation, it's important that we understand this. Even in, in our own beliefs, we should never take church teachings or sermons or even this study that we're doing right now at face value and just follow it blindly. 
if we ever have doubts or skepticism about something, we always should test the traditions or the teachings that are in the church with what the Bible says itself. And if there's any sort of contradiction or conflict, obviously the Bible should take precedence and should be the final say in the matter. This is not so in the Catholic Church, and that is a grave error. Now, let's talk about some traditions that contradict Scripture completely, and we'll give a, I'll give you some examples here in a minute. So, for every Christian denomination or in the study of Catholicism, one absolute way to determine errors in tradition and canon is to compare it with the Scripture itself. Much like us, Catholics believe that the Bible is infallible and inerrant, meaning that it is correct and it cannot contradict itself. However, to believe that tradition and scripture are equal yet contradict each other is evidence that the tradition is not inspired by God. That makes sense, right? If we ever see a violation or error between church tradition or scripture, even within our own church, the Bible should always be seen as the superior source. As it is written, even the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. By no means should the works of man supersede or equal the words of God himself. This is foolishness and a serious sin against the Lord. To believe or follow false traditions, especially if we see them as equal weight to the Bible, this will cause us to exalt a false religion and worship a false god. We should never worship a god that contradicts himself or what he has instituted on earth. But it's the same god. No, it's not. If your god exalts human reason and human wisdom, to the same level as his own wisdom. That's not the same God we're talking about here. So now let me give you some examples of some contradictions. I'm going to give you a paragraph from the church catechism, and I'm going to give you the counter verses in the Bible that contradict it. See what you think. In the church catechism, paragraph 81, it says this, Divine revelation is transmitted to the successors of the apostles so that, enlightened by the spirit of truth, they may faithfully preserve, expound, and spread it abroad by their preaching. This is talking about apostolic succession, which if we talked about this last week, right? This is where the belief that the Pope receives the original power of Peter when he becomes Pope. His authority as being able to bind things on earth and bind them in heaven, loose things on earth and loose them in heaven, the keys of the kingdom, that's to understand that he's got authority on earth as being a vicar, as being a representative of Christ as if he were a form of Christ himself. And so this divine revelation of what is considered tradition in the church is transmitted by apostolic succession, by the Pope himself. Is that what the Bible says? 
Let me read you a couple of verses. The book of Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Do you see that? It was already handed down to the saints once for all time, and that's through Jesus Christ himself. It's not through Paul. It's not through Peter. It's not through any pope. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Do you see that? So this divine revelation is not transmitted by any man. It has already been done for us 2,000 years ago through the person of Jesus Christ, and it ended there. So there is no apostolic succession. Church Catechism, paragraph 1,250. That's a lot of paragraphs. This is their doctrine on infant baptism. Is infant baptism biblically sound? It says, the church and the parents would deny a child the grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. So in other words, it's saying that the church grants grace, first off, which is a different problem, but it says that they become a child of God when they are baptized by the Catholic Church. Is that biblically sound. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it requires belief in Jesus Christ to be the child of God, not just through infant baptism. This one we know very well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's not through baptism. Baptism is a sign. doesn't save you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Can't get any more clear than that. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not through baptism. Now, this one is not from the Catechism. It's actually from the Council of Trent. Let me read you this one. If anyone says that a sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to receive the grace of justification, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Is that what the Bible says? Again, what they're claiming here is of equal authority of Scripture, by the way. Just keep that in mind. Romans chapter 3, 
verses 24 through 28. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Whereas in the Catholic understanding here from the Council of Trent is that you are justified and are saved by your works and your faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness to the one who does not work, but believes. So that means you don't have to have works. As simply, as simply if you believe, you are saved. So what are works for, then, if this is not true? Works should be a natural overflowing of what you believe. It is something tangible that people can see as a demonstration of your faith. Not necessarily that it saves you, but that it is the fruit that you bear in your faith. Church Catechism, paragraph 100. Their claim that the magisterium, which is the council of bishops or cardinals and the pope, are the authority on interpreting the Bible. It says this, The task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the church, that is, to the pope and to the bishops in communion with him. So only these people can properly understand the Bible. And anyone else who tries is unsuccessful. You cannot, on your own power, understand the Bible unless the church tells it to you. Is that what the Bible says? Let's see. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And really, we do anything that is contrary to the Bible that is adulterating the word of God. Very dangerous, and the Bible speaks very clearly about what happens if we do that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and, not a, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. 
the Holy Spirit is the teacher. First John speaks this. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches you. The Lord Jesus himself teaches you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Or, King James will say, he will direct your paths. He directs you to the truth, not the magisterium. Church Catechism, paragraph 882. Peter is the first pope. Because of the faith he confessed, Peter will remain the unshakable rock of the church. And he certainly was an unshakable rock of the first church, but it is not an eternal office. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the coroner stone. Yes, Peter was one of the ones who was the foundation of the current church, no doubt. I mean, that's biblical. But who's the one that holds it all together? Who's the one that establishes and preserves and sustains the church? It is Christ. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He is the unshakable rock. Not Peter. Peter was just a man. And every authority that he had was given to him by God. Here's a good one. Church paragraph 2677. Praying to the dead. By asking Mary to pray for us, we acknowledge ourselves to be poor sinners and we address ourselves to the Mother of Mercy, the All-Holy One. We give ourselves over to her now in the today of our lives, and our trust broadens further, already at the present moment, to surrender the hour of our death wholly to her care. Hmm. So Mary is to be prayed to, if we take this at face value, Mary is to be prayed to, and we admit our sins to Mary, and she is the All-Holy One, all capital letters here. Have you ever seen that in your Bible? Because that's new to me. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Hmm. So we should not be praying to Mary if that is what the Bible says. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Mary died. She's dead. 
You know, we don't pray to someone who's dead. That includes saints, which we'll get into that later. But we don't pray to Mary. She's not a deity. And by doing so, that's idolatry. And that is worshiping a false god. God is very clear that he is jealous for our prayers and for our affections. And he wants all of that for himself. So we should not give that to anybody else. Let's talk about praying the rosary. Church paragraph 971. The church's devotion to the Blessed Virgin is intrinsic to Christian worship. The rosary, an epitome of the whole gospel, express this devotion to the Virgin Mary. Interesting. So the rosary is the epitome of the whole gospel according to the Catholic Church. Is that true? Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that very much what we're told to do as when you go and confess to the priest? You just repeat the rosary over and over and over and over in order to get some sort of a blessing? Isn't that, this, isn't that exactly against what the Bible says? Church paragraph 2142. And this one's more of a nutshell one, but basically what, what happened here is there was a revision done on the Ten Commandments. They changed the Ten Commandments in the Catholic Church. What they did was, if you look at the Ten Commandments that we have in Exodus chapter 20, in the Catholic Bible, theirs is a little different, and it's a convenient difference. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5 says this, You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That has been excluded from the Catholic Bible. There's conveniently no commandment about idolatry. Instead, what they did was they divided the Tenth Commandment into two parts, which the Tenth Commandment is, you shall not covet. What they did is they divided it into two kinds of covetousness. One is, do not covet your neighbor's wife. And the second is, do not 
covet your neighbor's goods or their possessions. There's something very grave about doing this, about changing, altering, modifying the Word of God. Very dangerous. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We can keep going. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons, and the idols of gold, and of silver, and of brass, and of stone, and of wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. Idolatry is something very serious, and it's repeated throughout the Bible. And yet, by eliminating thou shalt not have idolatry, that opens up a whole can of worms. We'll get into that in much more detail. Let's talk about sin. Now, in the Catholic Church, there's two different kinds of sin. There's venial sin, which is minor sins, and mortal sins, which are grave, serious sins. If you commit a venial sin, you will not lose your salvation, but they believe that if you commit a mortal sin and you die when it's not forgiven of you, then you will go to hell. You will lose your salvation over mortal sins. Church paragraph 1863. Venial sin does not set us in direct opposition to the will and friendship of God. It does not break the covenant with God. So it seems as if, in the Catholic Church, venial sins are not that big of a deal to God. Is that how God sees sin? Let's find out. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins will die. It doesn't say the soul who commits mortal sins will die. It says the soul that sins will die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. James 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point 
he has become guilty of all. Hmm. The Catholic Church teaches in their catechism, paragraph 2192, that Mass is mandatory in their participation. It says, On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. Okay. Going to church is not a bad thing. But what does the Bible say about this? Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Now, I also have some other scripture that enforces some of these points that we made today, as well as some other general understandings of the relationship between tradition and scripture. So, take a listen to what the Bible says about these things. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their god as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth, and behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. It's because they have no dawn, they have no light in them, and the light of the world is Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions? Of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you, you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your mother and father, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. This one is one of the most pivotal scriptures we have on this topic. Do you see what Jesus said? Say, why do you sin against God for the sake of your tradition? You twist scripture with your tradition and therefore invalidate the word of God. 
making it useless because you believe in something that's not true. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Isn't that sad? The Catholic Church is over a billion members. And there is a handful of people at the top of this ladder that are nullifying the Word of God, invalidating it. And I pity people who are Catholic because they believe in something that is not true. I have no ill will against Catholics because they are deceived. My issue is with the people at the top, with the religious leaders and the Pope. But your average Catholic wants to do what's right, and they think they are doing what is good in God's sight. And it's so sad. And that's why it's so hard to change their minds. But I hope that this scripture helps you in your conversations with them. Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Ouch. Experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep with tradition. That's why tradition is so dangerous at times. Why religion is so dangerous at times, because it's not about religion, it's about relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 12, verses 24 through 27. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Don't take everything at face value. See what the Bible says about them. Search daily for the truth. Acts chapter 20, 
verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Are we praying for the clarity of our brothers and sisters in the world? Are we praying for clarity in the lost souls of this world? We should be. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? From the seat as Pope, they claim apostolic succession, the authority of Peter, and that their claim is Peter was infallible. The Bible clearly says that Peter made mistakes in his office, if he really was Pope. So this is completely a contradiction here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, to finish things up. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. It's Christ who is the authority, not the church. If any church has tradition, the tradition has to match. It has to make sense in the context of the Bible, not the other way around. We don't shape the Bible, and we don't shape God to whatever we want. We are subject to him. Therefore, his authority is infinitely above ours. So, examine these things. And if you're Catholic and you're listening to this, examine what you do in your church. I challenge you to leave that environment. And if you are a Catholic who has been truly saved by grace, and you're still in the church, you need to get out. Light cannot coexist with darkness. I hope this was helpful to you, and we will pick up the next topic next week, which is going to be the doctrines of salvation and sin from a Catholic perspective. But until then, I'm Ryan. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Take care and God bless you.